Hey, Pastor Brad here. Uh, man, thank you for engaging and plugging in to our television ministry and what God is doing. We want to encourage you to, man, set your DVR or better yet, come on campus starting September the 7th, a new sermon series kicking off, Death to Selfie, Die to Selfie. You say, oh my goodness, Pastor, what in the world is all that about? Well, you know, today there's a lot of hype about selfies and where you take them and what the background is and all those things. And we want to dive deeper and see exactly what the Bible says about all this selfie talk and what God has in store for you. And so if you have your Bible there, let's look at a couple of verses. In Philippians chapter 3, we find this very interesting. Philippians chapter 3 and verse and, and, and verse 4, Paul says, Although I had no confidence in my flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have even more grounds to have confidence in my flesh. Now, Paul's saying, I don't have a whole lot to brag about in my flesh. But now, if you want to get into a bragging contest, I believe I could probably be victorious in the bragging contest. And so he goes on, and let's look at this. He says, for I have more, verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, verse 6, as far as, as far as zeal goes, being zealous, he says, man, uh, persecuting the church, I was very zealous. Righteousness, that is the law, I was found very blameless. And so, man, we see here in these passages of Scripture, he goes on, but look at what he says in verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, I've just considered it loss because of Christ. More that I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he goes on and he says, because of this, because of the Lord, I have suffered the loss of many things. And then, now let's stop right there and unfold this passage of Scripture. Let's, let's unpack this for a moment today and see exactly what this thing is shaping up to be. Today there's a lot of... Uh, in the selfie world that we live in, there's a lot of careful planning that goes into selfies. Uh, matter of fact, for every selfie that's posted, there's probably no telling how many that's taken that was deleted. Oh, that, that one wasn't just right. Oh, I didn't get this in the background. You know, it's all about, and, and the thing about selfie, when I was a boy, it was called, uh, you, there were Flat Stanleys, or Where is Waldo? Uh, you may remember that. Where would Waldo appear back when, when I was a boy. And so you never knew where Waldo would pop up. And that was interesting. And that's kind of now it's, it's where is Waldo in a personal form. Because we just take these pictures. And you know uh, uh, me, and, me and my daughters. We, we'll take a picture. And, and, and these selfies will be in the most interesting places. And so it's a lot of careful critiquing that goes into taking a picture of a selfie today. But the interesting thing about it is most of the time it's to promote you and where you are. And Paul is doing a little promoting. He said, now, if we want to promote about prestige and where we are, let's look at a couple of things. So now here's what he paints for us. Because Paul, uh, man, he didn't have the benefit of having the, uh, the, the camera. Uh, he, he, he didn't know what it was to take a snapshot. 
He didn't know what it was to uh, have a smartphone or a dumb phone. Uh, man, you may remember when I was a boy, uh, man, we evolved in photography. I remember we each had a camera, and uh, man, it was interesting. It was big. And uh, when we'd take that camera out, you'd put it up there, and when you'd push the button, it would go, and it would spit a picture out the front of it. I thought that was the coolest things in the world. And an instant, photo- instant picture. And, uh, man, we were popping pictures out left and right. And then we realized that film cost money, and so we had to slow down the film, the picture production, okay? But in this thing, what we're looking at is what does it mean for Paul? What would that ancient selfie look like? What would it be laid out as? In the day of Paul, one would have had to use their imagination to see a selfie. And that's what Paul does. So if you will, just kind of engage in your imagination. The world we live in today uh, doesn't leave a whole lot for the imagination, amen. And uh, because everything is real, everything comes to us in place of us. And so it's, if we think about this from the, the, port, the picture of a portrait, of, of an artist painting a portrait, and they, they couldn't see Paul, Paul gives a description of who he is. And so the brush strokes, first of all, reveals his family. Now, when we think about the imagination of a family, we have mental pictures that pop up. Sometimes, all we have to do is mention a last name, and there's already mental pictures that pop up. Amen. For instance, if you mention Kennedy, you automatically think wealth. If you automatically think wealth, and you think, wow, that's a lot of wealth, that's a lot of prestige, that's a lot of... of, um, uh, of, of, of an, a legacy, a, a political dynasty, if you will. Don't, don't you have those mental pictures pop up? They automatically just come to you. I mean, uh, man, when you think about this, uh, when you think about Clint Eastwood, uh, boy, Eastwood, you think about, some of you think about Hang 'em High, some think about Dirty Harry, and for the younger generation who doesn't know who Dirty Harry is, they think about some of his most recent work. There's mental pictures that pop up. Uh, well, if you, if you think about the Clintons, well, let's don't go there. Let's just move on. And when we think about that, there's, there's pictures that come up. And then we could bring it closer to home. You could start mentioning your neighbors, their last name. Mental pictures come up. Somebody who lives in your city, mental pictures come up. It, it begins to paint the picture. And so the first thing Paul does from the Philippian prison, back to the artist, if you will, if we can just draw this analogy, is it's like him telling you, let me tell you about my family. Now, in my family, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the interesting thing about being born in the tribe of Benjamin, it was one of the most prestigious of the tribes, one of the, one of the better tribes of Israel, if you will. For you may remember, if you go back to the tribes of Israel and you look at Jacob, who had the 12 sons, there was two boys that was born of his sweetheart. One was Joseph and one was Benjamin. Benjamin came from, the, from his sweetheart. And so when we think about this and we begin to paint this picture, we realize that his family would have been a, a family name of dynasty. It would have been a family name of, of, of a great legacy. It wasn't a negative name attached to the tribe of Benjamin. While some of the other tribes of Israel had some negative connotations that if you mention them, but not the tribe of Benjamin. 
We go a little bit further and he says, I, I was a Jew. Well, we know he was a Drew Jew because he was of the tribe of Benjamin. But he was a Jew through and through. He was authentic. He was authentic. He was born in Rome, which gave him uh, an interesting, prestigious position. For you see, he was almost duly aligned, if you will. Although he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, he was also born in Rome, which allowed him to be a Roman citizen. And so when Paul of his day said, I am a Roman citizen, you may remember in the book of Acts, he pulled out that Roman citizen card when he needed to. But then he says, I am a Jew of a Jew, I'm of the Roman citizen. It meant that he was of a prestigious position. He just wasn't some anybody. To be duly aligned like that meant that your family was a family of significance. He lived in Jerusalem. His family would have, have been someone who came from a very humble beginning to the place of being highly respected. What I mean by that is that Paul wasn't born into royalty. He wasn't born into prestige. But his family arrived there by, by hard work, by motivation. Matter of fact, Paul talks about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and stuff, that he was a tent maker. Well, there's not a lot of notoriety to tent making. It's not a, something that somebody wakes up and says, boy, when I get big, I want to be a tent maker. It's hard work. It's grueling. It's a trade. It's not flamboyant. You know, I mean, it's not really the thing you want to bring to show and tell. A tent maker. But nevertheless, it was a very valuable trade. Because everybody needed tents. And so, Paul's father had become someone who had made it to a place of prominence by his hard work, by his craftsmanship. So, Paul, first of all, when, if we're looking at the canvas, he, he paints a picture of what his family would look like. Then he moves a little bit further and the brush marks reveal his education. Paul was by no means just any Johnny-come-lately. The Bible says that, he, that Paul received some of the highest education. Matter of fact, Paul, we read this. Paul said, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Matter of fact, it even went further than that because Paul had, had learned, he, he, his, his education came from the, the school of Gamil. He was one of the most prominent leaders of the Pharisees of that day. It would have been kind of equivalent to an Ivy League education. And so when we look at this, Paul, Paul unpackages that. And he says, man, I was educated by some of the most educated people in all the world. Matter of fact, of Gamil's teaching, here's what they said about it. It's the glory of the law. The glory of the law was his teaching. He eventually learned from them and, and became one of the most prominent Pharisees there was. His teaching was known as the glory of the law and there was no one higher that he could have learned from. There was no one higher that Paul could have learned from than Gamil. People, it was a coveted position to be able to sit at his feet and learn from him. Well, it goes a little bit further because after we paint the brush marks of his education, then we, we paint the brush marks of his, uh, uh, it goes a little bit further. It reveals uh, his profession. For you see, Paul learned a whole lot about his profession. And as he began to unpack it, it says that he was a man of authority. He was a man of influence. He was a, a man that was blameless. Matter of fact, he says concerning the law, I was blameless. We read that a while ago. There was no blame in me. He was a man of influence. It, the Bible teaches us that he was a man in charge of the most pressing needs of that day. I'm not making this up. Let me show it to you. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts reveals some interesting passages of Scripture for us. 
It, you know the passage in Acts chapter 9. It's Paul on the road to Damascus. And there he is on the road to Damascus and something interesting happens. You see, we know he is a person of power and prestige because just a couple of chapters over in 7, he was there when they killed Stephen, the first, one of the first deacons. But he was so powerful that he didn't even have to throw the rocks. That he just held the garments of the guys who were killing other people. And so when we look at this, it says that, um, man, as he was there in Acts chapter 9, it says in verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats. That's, that was his name before he was born again. Was still breathing threats and a murderer against the disciples of Christ, the Lord. He went to the high priest and he said, Could you give me some letters so that I can go to the synagogues and to Damascus and bring out anybody who's worshiping Christ and kill them? And they gave him the letters. You know, it's interesting to note that uh, that hadn't changed much. I mean, just recently, just this last week, we saw the head of another American cut off of a journalist. And a couple of weeks before that, they cut the head off of another journalist. And why were they doing that? Well, that's a good point. One of the reasons is because this group of radical believers had forced all these Christians who believed in Christ up on top of a mountain and was starving them to death. And if they came down off of the mountain, they would cut their head off. If they stayed up on top of the mountain, they would perish and their children would die on top of the mountain. And finally, I guess all of the pressure finally motivated our president to get off of neutral and do something. And so they sent our military over there to start bombing around the mountain to break the strangle on the hold of the Christians on top of the mountain. And then it worked. And those Christians were able to come off of the top of the mountain and then go back to, to, to the places where they lived and, and to try to find the things they need for the substance of life. As a result of it, it really ticked off the radical believers. And so, here's what they said. As long as you keep messing with our mission, we'll keep destroying your people. What was the mission? Well, we know the mission wasn't a whole lot more than just to free the Christians who were being persecuted on top of that mountain. Now, what I want you to know today is the reason they were being persecuted is because they believed in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Saul was one of those guys. He had the power, he had the prestige, he had the education, he had the influence, and if you took a picture of Paul, he'd have looked a lot kind of like some of the people who was the most powerful people in the world, yet doing some of the most wicked things in all the world. If you looked at Paul, he was the perfect picture of completion I mean he had zeal the Bible says he exceeded above his contemporaries it says he stood above the crowd he was a man who was to be envied I mean don't you know that guy who was throwing that rock crashing the skull of Stephen afflicting harm upon his body looked over there and saw Saul holding his coat and said one day I'm gonna be like that guy one day if I throw enough rocks, if I kill enough Christians, I can be like that guy. Somebody to be envied. Matter of fact, let me show you this picture of what 
Paul may have looked like, Saul may have looked like before he became a believer, when he had everything together. It, it, it probably was something very interesting. It was, the, it was the picture of this guy in the convertible there. It was the picture of the guy who, uh, who was, was, was at the prime of his life. It's probably what he would be like today. You know, I mean, he had all the things he wanted. He had all the people in the world. And, I mean, if Paul lived today, that's probably how he would get around. A convertible, an airplane, a cell phone, kick back, enjoying the high life. If Paul could have took a picture of himself with all the amenities that we have today, it would probably look to something a little like this. But something happened in Paul's life. Matter of fact, the Bible lays it out for us. We were reading it in the book of Acts. He was on his way to Damascus. And look at what it says here in verse 3 of chapter 9. It says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light shone from heaven, and suddenly it flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Now Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He answered. Well, Saul, I'm Jesus. When you are persecuting, the one whom you're persecuting, he replied. But get up and go to the inner city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him, because he was a man of great prominence, stood around and were speechless. I would say so, amen. They were speechless and hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and he could not see through his eyes, though they were open. He could see nothing. So they took him by the hand, and they led him to Damascus, the most powerful man. I mean, you remember that picture? The guy who seemed to have it all was now being led by the hand. Because he could no longer see. Verse 10 says, when he got to Damascus, he was unable to eat or drink anything for three days. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, here I am, Lord. He said, get up and go to the street called Straight. And uh, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he is there praying there. In a vision, he had seen the man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him that he may regain his sight. The Lord said, Ananias, the Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many things about this man. You, you must have made a mistake. That's my words. You know, this is the guy who's been persecuting your saints in Jerusalem. And by the way, Lord, he has the authority to come here and persecute the chief priests and to arrest them all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, now you just go, for he's one of my chosen instruments for my glory to bring the gospel to the Gentile kings and I will sure, certainly show him how much he must suffer and then this thing continues to unfold and, and when it goes on uh, I mean he Ananias goes over there prays for him lays his hands on him he regains his sight and then Saul begins to go and do ministry with all the other disciples in Damascus now what's interesting about that is what happened what happened well, by the end of Paul's life, we see the picture of the, the uh, one guy who's sitting there in the convertible, living the high life, living the high life, having everything that, one, the one to be envied. But by the end of Paul's life, let me show you probably what he would have looked a little bit more like. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you read the story of Paul, how been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, left in the middle of the ocean, left for dead, in perils of countrymen, in perils of strangers. When Paul was writing this, this letter from the 
to the Philippian church in prison, he would have been a man who was now tattered and torn. For you see, what Paul did was, he traded a perfect family picture for now a family with strangers. Now, you know, the thing about Judaism is, uh, even to this day, if there is an Orthodox Jew who no longer continues in the Jewish faith of, of the Jewish orthodoxy, they actually have a funeral for that person. Because in their minds, they've left the faith. And they no longer exist in that same realm. So I can tell you that for Paul, whenever he left the faith, I mean, come on, guys. Come on, ladies. Don't you know that when we think about Paul's mom and dad, there Paul's dad was as a tent maker, and he's probably thinking, boy, if I can just get my boy an education, he won't have to do what I've done. He won't have to work as hard as I've worked. He won't have to have a craft because he has an education. He won't have to have a trade because he has a profession. But you see, what Paul did was he traded a picture-perfect Jewish family that had bragging rights in the community, his duly aligned citizenship, to have a life with strangers. To have a life with his enemies. Matter of fact, the people that he went to kill became his family. Matter of fact, when we connect the dots and see, they actually were his previous enemies. They were, but now they became his new family. Look at what it says in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. When, when Ananias gets there, he doesn't say, Oh boy, i tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to just get a couple of licks on you for what you did, Stephen. No, he walks in the room and he says, Hey, hey brother Saul. Brother Saul. Can I say it again? Brother Saul. You see, Ananias had already moved from the time he left his house, from the time he got there. He had already changed his mind that he was no longer the persecutor, but he was a person to be cherished. And in Ananias' mind, when he opened the door and he walked in, he said, Brother Saul, can I pray for you? Now, boy, there's a lot of things. Don't you know he wanted to call him? But brother probably wasn't one of them. And it says the disciples began, he began to hang out with them. Man, it says in, 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 in verses 19, and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. And immediately he began preaching Jesus. You see, he traded a picture-perfect family for strangers. He traded his selfish education to help make himself successful, to have the best things of the world. He traded his selfish education for selfless educating. You see, it was no longer that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. It was no longer that he had, been, he had learned from the school of Gamal. It was no longer that he had learned from the glory of the law. But now he wasn't worried about his self-educating. But he was worried about teaching others. Paul would make tents and teach. He would make tents and teach. And he would teach and make tents. Make tents and teach. Teach and make tents. The man left it all. He traded it. He traded a picture-perfect selfie education to just give it away to others. It was no longer about the prestige of imparting the gift of knowledge, but it was about imparting the humility of faith. It was no longer about imparting the gift of knowledge, but it was about imparting faith. 
It wasn't about educating, but it was about enlightening. It wasn't about leading people to Gabal, but it was about pointing people to Jesus. Where you see, my friends, he was no longer seeking to sit at the feet of Gamal, but to be saturated by the presence of God in the company of his brothers. He traded not only a picture-perfect family for a picture of strangers. He traded not only, no longer, I mean, not only selfish education for selfless giving, but he traded professionalism for craftsmanship. See, he left the white-collar world and went back and picked up the craft that his dad had taught him. See, for a Jew, is a very important thing for your son to have a, a trade, a craft. Always something to be able to fall back on in the hard times. Now, now Paul's education wouldn't do him a whole lot of good because Jesus came and called the Pharisees a bunch of whitewashed tombs. He came and and eradicated the power of the Pharisees so his, his education wouldn't help him a whole lot. So he had to go back, he had to fall back on that craft and that his dad had taught him. He traded professionalism for just a simple trade of building tents so that he might point people to Jesus. You see today, no longer did he suit up for the adoration of man, but he clothed himself for the need of the hour. Can I say that again? He no longer suited up for the adoration and applause of men, but he clothed himself in humility for the need of that hour. Paul put it this way. He says, I become all things to all people that I might just simply win some. Win some. And the last thing, he exchanged an untarnished zeal for an undesirable brokenness. You see, he went from standing head and shoulders above the crowd to being thrown in a ditch. He went from promoting self to dying to self. He traded religion for a relationship. He went from killing followers of Christ to being killed for being a follower of Christ. Yes. They left him in the ditch for dead because they thought he was dead. And later they cut his head off. Nero cut his head off because he wouldn't quit preaching The gospel. Yes, my friends. He went from teaching righteousness to experiencing it. He went from teaching it to experiencing it. Oh yeah, Paul said, I die every day. What does an ancient selfie look like? Just like a modern one. It brings in everything about us and reveals to the world who we are really are today my friends what's God speaking to your life what would your selfie look like oh I know you can pull out your handy dandy smartphone and pop one real quick but if you were sitting in a prison and you had to write a letter to an artist and say and describe your life and say could you paint my selfie on a canvas what would it look like Paul traded the prestige of the hour for the relationship with a holy God. Maybe you're sitting there at home and you watch us every week on television or online and 
man, you just, you gave up on church a long time ago because you felt like there were so many Pauls around you that just sucked all the joy out of being part of a body of believers. Today, I want to encourage you that Christ wants you to come and engage and plug in somewhere. Find a church that believes what you believe and is actively trying to break through barriers of race, creed, ethnicity, culture. Meet people where they are, becoming all things to all people that they might win some and make a difference for the glory of God. And right here today, God's calling us. God's calling us to move from beyond mediocrity to engage full-blown for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords.